Hey everyone, here's some supplemental stuff. I'm gonna call them full episodes because that's what they are. They're full episodes and it's not more Devil's Dictionary new. It's more Oz. I figured I'd uh, throw in that book that we skipped over that just had a little bit of Dorothy but not a lot of Dorothy. It's the second Oz book and it just kind of has some Dorothy but it does fill in the gaps between... Uh, book one and book three if you're like wait a minute what happened hey what's this thing about this who's that what huh we're gonna have it and you know what we're gonna give it to you and you know who's gonna help us give it to you found item clothing of course you can get all of your favorite cool guy cool gal cool everyone t-shirts I love my uh, my Revenge of the Nerds uh, booger-type t-shirts that I have, like uh, Greasy Tonys and uh, other ones that I'm not going to say because this is a family episode. So, you know, hey, if you want sassy t-shirts from your favorite 80s and 90s films, founditemclothing.com. And of course, of course, of course, Highland Cow Wooly Bull Slippers. They're just called Highland Cow Slippers, but I like saying Wooly Bull. All right. Check out... Um, bunnyslippers.com. Hey, do you like uh, those those uh, slippers that Val Kilmer's character, Christopher Knight, I think it is, wore in Real Genius? Oh, they've got everything you need. Even the little dealy bobber things, the alien uh, things that he wore. They've got the whole outfit. I mean, you have to supply the pants and the socks and the underwear. I don't know if he wore underwear. That's, that's up to you. That's between you and your creator. Or your concept of philosophy of whatever i don't care hey you want to listen to some oz i've got some oz and also 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 not for this we've got uh some ken height coming up on people's guide to the cthulhu mythos our monthly show about the cthulhu mythos you know it you like it maybe hopefully i don't know <laughs> and ken height's going to be talking about ghouls in literature because we're going to be talking about ghouls and also, we've got some stuff coming up from David Heath about alternate forms of Dracula. And what else do we have coming up? We've got some talk about the Devil's Dictionary with David Heath as well. So, look forward to that. Hey, do you have something that you want to send me? Do you have questions that you want to ask? We'll do mailbag episodes here and once in a while, but right now we need more people to send some stuff. We got some real good questions from a guy named Mateo. Mateo, thank you for your questions. And anyone else out there who has questions for us, go to pgttcm.com, contact, or ask questions on our Facebook group for People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos and Black Clock Audio Tales. And we're also on Instagram. Here we go! Chapter 16, Princess Dorothy. Dorothy Gale was sitting in one of her rooms in the royal palace, while curled up at her feet was a little black dog with a shaggy coat and very bright eyes. She wore a plain white frock, without any jewels or other ornaments except an emerald green hair ribbon, for Dorothy was a simple little girl, and had not been in the least spoiled by the magnificence surrounding her. Once the child had lived on the Kansas prairies, but she seemed marked for adventure, for she had made several trips to the land of Oz before she came to live there for good. Her very best friend was the beautiful Ozma of Oz, who loved Dorothy so well that she kept her in her own palace so as to be near her. The girls, Uncle Harry and Aunt Em, the only relatives she had in the world, had been brought here by Ozma and given a pleasant home. Dorothy knew almost everybody in Oz, and it was she who had discovered the Scarecrow, the Tin Woodman, and the Cowardly Lion, as well as Tick-Tock, the Clockwork Man. Her life was very pleasant now, and although she had been made a Princess of Oz by her friend Ozma, she did not care much to be a princess, and remained as sweet as when she had been plain Dorothy Gale of Kansas. Dorothy was reading a book this evening when Jellia Jam, the favorite servant-maid of the palace, came to say that the shaggy man wanted to see her. "'All right,' said Dorothy. "'Tell him to come right up.' "'But he has some queer creatures with him, some of the queerest I've ever laid eyes on,' reported Jellia. 
Never mind, let them all come up, replied Dorothy. But when the door opened to admit not only the shaggy man, but Scraps, the woozy, and the glass cat, Dorothy jumped up and looked at her strange visitors in amazement. The patchwork girl was the most curious of all, and Dorothy was uncertain at first whether Scraps was really alive, or only a dream, or a nightmare. Toto, her dog, slowly uncurled himself, and going to the patchwork girl, sniffed at her inquisitively, but soon he lay down again, as if to say he had no interest in such an irregular creation. "'You're a new one to me,' Dorothy said reflectively, addressing the patchwork girl. "'I can't imagine where you've come from.' "'Who, me?' asked Scraps, looking around the pretty room instead of at the girl. "'Oh, I come from a bed-quilt, I guess. That's what they say, anyhow. Some call it a crazy quilt and some a patchwork quilt. But my name is Scraps, and now you know all about me.' "'Not quite all,' returned Dorothy with a smile. "'I wish you'd tell me how you came to be alive.' "'That's an easy job,' said Scraps, sitting upon a big upholstered chair and making the springs bounce her up and down. "'Margalot wanted a slave, so she made me out of an old bedquilt she didn't use. "'Cotton stuffing, suspender button eyes, red velvet tongue—' pearl beads for teeth. The crooked magician made a powder of life, sprinkled me with it, and here I am. Perhaps you've noticed my different colors. A very refined and educated gentleman, named the Scarecrow, whom I met, told me I am the most beautiful creature in all Oz, and I believe it. "'Oh, have you met our Scarecrow, then?' asked Dorothy a little puzzled to understand the brief history related. "'Yes, isn't he jolly?' "'The Scarecrow has many good qualities,' replied Dorothy. "'But I'm sorry to hear all this about the crooked magician. Ozma'll be mad as hops when she hears he's been doing magic again. She told him not to.' "'He only practices magic for the benefit of his own family,' explained Bungle who was keeping at a respectful distance from the little black dog. "'Dear me,' said Dorothy, "'I hadn't noticed you before. Are you glass, or what?' "'I'm glass, and transparent, too, which is more than can be said of some folks,' answered the cat. "'Also, I have some lovely pink brains. You can see em work.' "'Oh, is that so?' Come over here and let me see. The glass cat hesitated, eyeing the dog. Send that beast away, and I will, she said. Beast? Why, that's my dog Toto. And he's the kindest dog in all the world. Toto knows a good many things, too. Most as much as I do, I guess. Why doesn't he say anything? asked Bungle. He can't talk, not being a fairy dog, explained Dorothy. He's just a common United States dog, but that's a good deal, and I understand him, and he understands me just as well as if he could talk. Toto, at this, got up and rubbed his head softly against Dorothy's hand, which she held out to him, and he looked up into her face as if he had understood every word she had said. This cat, Toto, she said to him, is made of glass, so you mustn't bother it or chase it any more than you do my pink kitten. It's probably brittle and might break if it bumped against anything. Ruff, said Toto, and that meant he understood. The glass cat was so proud of her pink brains that she ventured to come close to Dorothy in order that the girl might see him work. This was really interesting, but when Dorothy patted the cat, she found the glass cold and hard and unresponsive, so she decided at once that Bungle would never do for a pet. "'What do you know about the crooked magician who lives on the mountain?' asked Dorothy. "'He made me,' 
replied the cat. So I know all about him. The patchwork girl is new, three or four days old. But I've lived with Dr. Pipt for years, and though I don't much care for him, I will say that he has always refused to work magic for any of the people who come to his house. He thinks there's no harm in doing magic things for his own family, and he made me out of glass, because the meat cats drink too much milk. He also made Scraps come to life, so she could do the housework for his wife, Margalot. Then why did you both leave him? asked Dorothy. I think you'd better let me explain that, interrupted the shaggy man. And then he told Dorothy all of Ojo's story, and how Unc Nunky and Margalot had accidentally been turned to marble by the liquid of petrifaction. Then he related how the boy had started out in search of the things needed to make the magic charm, which would restore the unfortunates to life, and how he had found the woozy and taken him along because he could not pull the three hairs out of its tail. Dorothy listened to all this with much interest, and thought that so far Ojo had acted very well, but when the shaggy man told her of the munchkin boy's arrest by the soldier with the green whiskers, because he was accused of willfully breaking a law of Oz, the little girl was greatly shocked. "'What do you suppose he's done?' she asked. "'I fear he has picked a six-leaved clover,' answered the shaggy man sadly. "'I did not see him do it, and I warned him that to do so was against the law. But perhaps that is what he did, nevertheless.' "'I'm sorry about that,' said Dorothy gravely. "'For now there will be no one to help his poor uncle and Morgalot, "'cept this patchwork girl, the woozy, and the glass cat.' "'Don't mention it,' said Scraps. "'That's no affair of mine. "'Margalot and Unc Nunky are perfect strangers to me. "'For the moment I came to life, they came to marble.' "'I see,' remarked Dorothy with a sigh of regret. "'The woman forgot to give you a heart.' "'I'm glad she did,' retorted the patchwork girl. "'A heart must be a great annoyance to one. "'It makes a person feel sad or sorry or devoted or sympathetic.' all of which sensations interfere with one's happiness. "'I have a heart,' murmured the glass cat. "'It's made of a ruby, but I don't imagine I shall let it bother me about helping Unc Nunky and Margalot.' "'That's a pretty hard heart of yours,' said Dorothy. "'And the woozy, of course.' "'Why, as for me,' observed the woozy, who was reclining on the floor, with his legs doubled under him, so that he looked much like a square box, "'I have never seen those unfortunate people you are speaking of, and yet I am sorry for them, having at times been unfortunate myself. When I was shut up in that forest, I longed for someone to help me, and by and by Ojo came and did help me.' So I'm willing to help his uncle. I'm only a stupid beast, Dorothy, but I can't help that, and if you'll tell me what to do to help Ojo and his uncle, I'll gladly do it. Dorothy walked over and patted the woozy on his square head. You're not pretty, she said, but I like you. What are you able to do? Anything special? I can make my eyes flash fire, real fire, when I'm angry. When anyone says, Crystal Crew, to me, I get angry, and then my eyes flash fire. I don't see as fireworks could help Ojo's uncle, remarked Dorothy. Can you do anything else? I, I thought I had a very terrifying growl, said the woozy with hesitation, but perhaps I was mistaken. Yes, said the shaggy man, you are certainly wrong about that. Then he turned to Dorothy and added, "'What will become of the munchkin boy?' "'I don't know,' she said, shaking her head thoughtfully. "'Ozma will see him about it, of course, and then she'll punish him. But how, I don't know, because no one has ever been punished in Oz since I knew anything about the place.' "'Too bad, Shaggy Man, isn't it?' While they were talking, Scraps had been roaming around the room and looking at all the pretty things it contained. 
She had carried Ojo's basket in her hand until now, when she decided to see what was inside it. She found the bread and the cheese, which she had no use for, and the bundle of charms, which were curious but quite a mystery to her. Then, turning these over, she came upon the six-leaved clover, which the boy had plucked. Scraps was quick-witted, and although she had no heart, she recognized the fact that Ojo was her first friend. She knew at once that because the boy had taken the clover, he had been imprisoned, and she understood that Ojo had given her the basket, so they would not find the clover in his possession and have proof of his crime. So, turning her head to see that no one noticed her, she took the clover from the basket and dropped it into a golden vase that stood on Dorothy's table. Then she came forward and said to Dorothy, I wouldn't care to help Ojo's uncle, but I might help Ojo. He did not break the law. No one can prove he did. And that green-whiskered soldier had no right to arrest him. Ozma ordered the boy's arrest, said Dorothy, and of course she knew what she was doing. But if you can prove Ojo is innocent, they will set him free at once. They'll have to prove him guilty, won't they? asked Scraps. I suppose so. Well, they can't do that, declared the patchwork girl. As it was nearly time for Dorothy to dine with Ozma, which she did every evening, she rang for a servant and ordered the woozy taken to a nice room and given plenty of such food as he liked best. That's honeybees, said the woozy. You can't eat honeybees, but you'll be given something just as nice, Dorothy told him. Then she had the glass cat taken to another room for the night, and the patchwork girl she kept in one of her own rooms, for she was much interested in the strange creature, and wanted to talk with her again and try to understand her better. End of chapter 16 Chapter 17 Ozma and Her Friends the Shaggy Man had a room of his own in the royal palace, so there he went to change his shaggy suit of clothes for another just as shaggy but not so dusty from travel. He selected a costume of pea-green and pink satin and velvet with embroidered shags on all the edges and iridescent pearls for ornaments. Then he bathed in an alabaster pool and brushed his shaggy hair and whiskers the wrong way, to make them still more shaggy. This accomplished, and arrayed in his splendid shaggy garments, he went to Ozma's banquet hall, and found the Scarecrow, the Wizard, and Dorothy already assembled there. The Scarecrow had made a quick trip and returned to the Emerald City with his left ear freshly painted. A moment later, while they all stood in waiting, a servant threw open the door, the orchestra struck up a tune, and Ozma of Oz entered. Much has been told and written concerning the beauty of person and character of this sweet girl ruler of the land of Oz, the richest, the happiest, and most delightful fairyland of which we have any knowledge. Yet with all her queenly qualities, Ozma was a real girl, and enjoyed the things in life that other real girls enjoy. When she sat on her splendid emerald throne in the great throne room of her palace, and made laws and settled disputes, and tried to keep all her subjects happy and contented, she was as dignified and demure as any queen might be. But when she had thrown aside her jeweled robe of state and her scepter, and had retired to her private apartments, the girl, joyous, light-hearted, and free, replace the sedate ruler. In the banquet hall tonight were gathered only old and trusted friends, so here Ozma was herself, a mere girl. She greeted Dorothy with a kiss, the shaggy man with a smile, the little old wizard with a friendly handshake, and then she pressed the scarecrow's stuffed arm and cried merrily, "'What a lovely left ear! Why, it's a hundred times better than the old one!' "'I'm glad you like it,' replied the Scarecrow, well pleased. 
Ginger did a neat job, didn't she? And my hearing is now perfect. Isn't it wonderful what a little paint will do if it's properly applied? It really is wonderful, she agreed, as they all took their seats. But the sawhorse must have made his legs twinkle to have carried you so far in one day. I didn't expect you back before tomorrow at the earliest. Well, said the scarecrow, I met a charming girl on the road and wanted to see more of her, so I hurried back. Ozma laughed. I know, she returned. It's the patchwork girl. She is certainly bewildering, if not strictly beautiful. Have you seen her, then? the straw man eagerly asked. Only in my magic picture, which shows me all scenes of interest in the land of Oz. I fear the picture didn't do her justice, said the scarecrow. It seems to me that nothing could be more gorgeous, declared Ozma. Whoever made that patchwork quilt from which Scraps was formed must have selected the gayest and brightest bits of cloth that ever were woven. I am glad you like her, said the scarecrow in a satisfied tone. Although the straw man did not eat, not being made so he could, he often dined with Ozma and her companions merely for the pleasure of talking with them. He sat at the table and had a napkin and plate, but the servants knew better than to offer him food. After a little while he asked, Where is the patchwork girl now? In my room, replied Dorothy. I've taken a fancy to her. She's so queer and... and uncommon. She's half crazy, I think, added the shaggy man. But she is so beautiful, exclaimed the scarecrow as if that fact disarmed all criticism. They all laughed at his enthusiasm, but the Scarecrow was quite serious. Seeing that he was interested in scraps, they forbore to say anything against her. The little band of friends Ozma had gathered around her was so quaintly assorted that much care must be exercised to avoid hurting their feelings or making any one of them unhappy. It was this considerate kindness that held them close friends, and enabled them to enjoy one another's society. Another thing they avoided was conversing on unpleasant subjects, and for that reason Ojo and his troubles were not mentioned during the dinner. The shaggy man, however, related his adventures with the monstrous plants which had seized and enfolded the travelers, and told how he had robbed Chiss, the giant porcupine, of the quills which it was accustomed to throw at people. Both Dorothy and Ozma were pleased with the exploit, and thought it served Chiss right. Then they talked of the Woozy, which was the most remarkable animal any of them had ever before seen except, perhaps, the live sawhorse. Ozma had never known that her dominions contained such a thing as a Woozy, there being but one in existence, and this being confined in his forest for many years. Dorothy said she believed the Woozy was a good beast, honest and faithful, but she added that she did not care much for the glass cat. Still, said the shaggy man, the glass cat is very pretty, and if she were not so conceited over her pink brains, no one would object to her as a companion. The wizard had been eating silently until now, when he looked up and remarked, "'That powder of life which is made by the crooked magician is really a wonderful thing. But Dr. Pipt does not know its true value, and he uses it in the most foolish ways.' "'I must see about that,' said Ozma gravely. Then she smiled again, and continued in a lighter tone, "'It was Dr. Pipt's famous powder of life.' that enabled me to become the ruler of Oz. "'I've never heard that story,' said the shaggy man, looking at Ozma questioningly. "'Well, when I was a baby girl I was stolen by an old witch named Mombi, and transformed into a boy,' began the girl ruler. "'I did not know who I was, and when I grew big enough to work, the witch made me wait upon her and carry wood for the fire and hoe in the garden.' One day she came back from a journey, bringing some of the powder of life, 
which Dr. Pipt had given her. I made a pumpkin-headed man and set it up in her path to frighten her, for I was fond of fun and hated the witch. But she knew what the figure was, and to test her powder of life she sprinkled some of it on the man I had made. It came to life, and is now our dear friend Jack Pumpkinhead. That night I ran away with Jack to escape punishment, and I took old Mombi's powder of life with me. During our journey we came upon a wooden sawhorse standing by the road, and I used the magic powder to bring it to life. The sawhorse has been with me ever since. When I got to the Emerald City, the good sorceress Glinda knew who I was and restored me to my proper person when I became the rightful ruler of this land. So you see, had not old Mumby brought home the powder of life, I might never have run away from her and become Ozma of Oz, nor would we have had Jack Pumpkinhead and the Sawhorse to comfort and amuse us. That story interested the Shaggy Man very much, as well as the others, who had often heard it before. The dinner being now concluded, they all went to Ozma's drawing-room, where they passed a pleasant evening before it came time to retire. End of Chapter 17 Chapter 18 Ojo is Forgiven the next morning the soldier with the green whiskers went to the prison and took Ojo away to the royal palace, where he was summoned to appear before the girl ruler for judgment. Again the soldier put upon the boy the jeweled handcuffs and white prisoner's robe with the peaked top and holes for the eyes. Ojo was so ashamed, both of his disgrace and the fault he had committed, that he was glad to be covered up in this way so that people could not see him or know who he was. He followed the soldier with the green whiskers very willingly, anxious that his fate might be decided as soon as possible. The inhabitants of the Emerald City were polite people, and never jeered at the unfortunate, but it was so long since they had seen a prisoner that they cast many curious looks toward the boy and many of them hurried away to the royal palace to be present during the trial. When Ojo was escorted into the great throne room of the palace, he found hundreds of people assembled there. In the magnificent emerald throne, which sparkled with countless jewels, sat Ozma of Oz in her robe of state, which was embroidered with emeralds and pearls. On her right, but a little lower, was Dorothy, and on her left the scarecrow. Still lower, but nearly in front of Ozma, sat the wonderful Wizard of Oz, and on a small table beside him was the golden vase from Dorothy's room, into which Scraps had dropped the stolen clover. At Ozma's feet crouched two enormous beasts, each the largest and most powerful of its kind. Although these beasts were quite free, no one present was alarmed by them, for the cowardly lion and the hungry tiger were well known and respected in the Emerald City, and they always guarded the ruler when she held high court in the throne room. There was still another beast present, but this one Dorothy held in her arms, for it was her constant companion, the little dog Toto. Toto knew the cowardly lion and the hungry tiger, and often played and romped with them, for they were good friends. Seated on ivory chairs before Ozma, with a clear space between them and the throne, were many of the nobility of the Emerald City, lords and ladies in beautiful costumes, and officials of the kingdom in the royal uniforms of Oz. Beside these courtiers were others of less importance, filling the great hall to the very doors. At the same moment that the soldier with the green whiskers arrived with Ojo, the shaggy man entered from a side door, escorting the patchwork girl, the woozy, and the glass cat. All these came to the vacant space before the throne, and stood facing the ruler. "'Hello, Ojo,' said Scraps. "'How are you?' "'All right,' he replied. But the scene awed the boy, and his voice trembled a little with fear. Nothing could awe the patchwork girl, 
and although the woozy was somewhat uneasy in the splendid surroundings, the glass cat was delighted with the sumptuousness of the court and the impressiveness of the occasion. Pretty big words, but quite expressive. At a sign from Ozma, the soldier removed Ojo's white robe, and the boy stood face to face with the girl who was to decide his punishment. He saw at a glance how lovely and sweet she was, and his heart gave a bound of joy, for he hoped she would be merciful. Ozma sat looking at the prisoner a long time. Then she said, gently, One of the laws of Oz forbids anyone to pick a six-leaved clover. You are accused of having broken this law even after you had been warned not to do so. Ojo hung his head, and while he hesitated how to reply, the patchwork girl stepped forward and spoke for him. All this fuss is about nothing at all, she said, facing Ozma unabashed. You can't prove he picked the six-leaved clover, so you've no right to accuse him of it. Search him if you like, but you won't find the clover. Look in his basket, and you'll find it's not there. He hasn't got it. So I demand that you set this poor munchkin boy free. The people of Oz listened to this defiance in amazement, and wondered at the queer patchwork girl who dared talk so boldly to their ruler. But Ozma sat silent and motionless, and it was the little wizard who answered Scraps. "'So the clover hasn't been picked, eh?' he said. "'I think it has. I think the boy hid it in his basket, and then gave the basket to you. I also think you dropped the clover into this vase, which stood in Princess Dorothy's room, hoping to get rid of it so it would not prove the boy guilty. You're a stranger here, Miss Patches, and so you don't know that nothing can be hidden from our powerful ruler's magic picture, nor from the watchful eyes of the humble Wizard of Oz. Look, all of you. With these words he waved his hands toward the vase on the table, which Scraps now noticed for the first time. From the mouth of the vase a plant sprouted, slowly growing before their eyes until it became a beautiful bush, and on the topmost branch appeared the six-leaved clover which Ojo had unfortunately picked. Ozma turned to Ojo. "'Did you pick the six-leaved clover?' she asked. "'Yes,' he replied. "'I knew it was against the law. But I wanted to save Unc Nunky, and I was afraid if I asked your consent to pick it, you would refuse me. What caused you to think that? asked the ruler. Why, it seemed to me a foolish law, unjust and unreasonable. Even now I can see no harm in picking a six-leaved clover. And I, I had not seen the Emerald City then, nor you, and I thought a girl who would make such a silly law would not be liable to help anyone in trouble. Ozma regarded him musingly, her chin resting upon her hand, but she was not angry. On the contrary, she smiled a little at her thoughts, and then grew sober again. I suppose a good many laws seem foolish to those people who do not understand them, she said. But no law is ever made without some purpose and that purpose is usually to protect all the people and guard their welfare. As you are a stranger, I will explain this law which to you seems so foolish. Years ago there were many witches and magicians in the land of Oz, and one of the things they often used in making their magic charms and transformations was a six-leaved clover. These witches and magicians caused so much trouble among my people, often using their powers for evil rather than good, that I decided to forbid anyone to practice magic or sorcery except Glinda the Good and her assistant, the Wizard of Oz, both of whom I can trust to use their arts only to benefit my people and to make them happier. Since I issued that law, 
the land of Oz has been far more peaceful and quiet. But I learned that some of the witches and magicians were still practicing magic on the sly, and using the six-leaved clovers to make their potions and charms. Therefore I made another law, forbidding any one from plucking a six-leaved clover, or from gathering other plants and herbs which the witches boil in their kettles to work magic with. That has almost put an end to wicked sorcery in our land, so you see the law was not a foolish one, but wise and just and in any event it is wrong to disobey a law. Ojo knew she was right, and felt greatly mortified to realize he had acted and spoken so ridiculously. But he raised his head, and looked Ozma in the face, saying, I am sorry I have acted wrongly and broken your law. I did it to save Unc Nunky, and thought I would not be found out, but I am guilty of this act, and whatever punishment you think I deserve, I will suffer willingly. Ozma smiled more brightly then, and nodded graciously. You are forgiven, she said, for although you have committed a serious fault, you are now penitent, and I think you have been punished enough. Soldier, release Ojo the Lucky, and— I beg your pardon, I'm Ojo the Unlucky, said the boy. At this moment you are lucky, said she. Release him, soldier, and let him go free. The people were glad to hear Ozma's decree, and murmured their approval. As the royal audience was now over, they began to leave the throne room, and soon there were none remaining except Ojo and his friends, and Ozma and her favorites. The girl ruler now asked Ojo to sit down and tell her all his story, which he did beginning at the time he had left home in the forest, and ending with his arrival at the Emerald City and his arrest. Ozma listened attentively, and was thoughtful for some moments after the boy had finished speaking. Then she said, The crooked magician was wrong to make the glass cat and the patchwork girl, for it was against the law and if he had not unlawfully kept the bottle of liquid of petrification standing on his shelf, the accident to his wife Margolot and to Unc Nunky could not have occurred. I can understand, however, that Ojo, who loves his uncle, will be unhappy unless he can save him. Also I feel it is wrong to leave these two victims standing as marble statues when they ought to be alive, so I propose we allow Dr. Pipt to make the magic charm which will save them, and that we assist Ojo to find the things he is seeking. What do you think, wizard? That is perhaps the best thing to do, replied the wizard. But after the crooked magician has restored those poor people to life, you must take away his magic powers. I will, promised Ozma. Now tell me, please, what magic things must you find? continued the wizard, addressing Ojo. The three hairs from the woozy's tail I have, said the boy. That is, I have the woozy, and the hairs are in his tail. The six-leaved clover I—I—you may take it and keep it, said Ozma. That will not be breaking the law, for it is already picked, and the crime of picking it is forgiven. Thank you, cried Ojo gratefully. Then he continued, the next thing I must find is a gill of water from a dark well. The wizard shook his head. That, said he, will be a hard task, but if you travel far enough you may discover it. I am willing to travel for years if it will save Unc Nunky, declared Ojo earnestly. Then you'd better begin your journey at once, advised the wizard. Dorothy had been listening with interest to this conversation. Now she turned to Ozma and asked, "'May I go with Ojo to help him?' "'Would you like to?' returned Ozma. "'Yes, I know Oz pretty well, but Ojo doesn't know it at all. I'm sorry for his uncle and poor Margolot, and I'd like to help save them. May I go?' "'If you wish to,' replied Ozma. "'If Dorothy goes, then I must go to take care of her,' said the Scarecrow decidedly. A dark well can only be discovered in some out-of-the-way place, and there may be dangers there. 
"'You have my permission to accompany Dorothy,' said Ozma. "'And while you are gone, I will take care of the patchwork girl.' "'I'll take care of myself,' announced Scraps, "'for I am going with the Scarecrow and Dorothy. "'I promised Ojo to help him find the things he wants, "'and I'll stick to my promise.' "'Very well,' replied Ozma. "'But I see no need for Ojo to take the glass cat and the woozy.' "'I prefer to remain here,' said the cat. "'I've nearly been nicked half a dozen times already, "'and if they're going into dangers, "'it's best for me to keep away from them.' "'Let Jellia Jam keep her till Ojo returns,' suggested Dorothy. "'We won't need to take the woozy either, "'but he ought to be saved because of the three hairs in his tail.' "'Better take me along,' said the woozy. "'My eyes can flash fire, you know, and I can growl a little.' "'I'm sure you'll be safer here,' Ozma decided, and the woozy made no further objections to the plan. After consulting together, they decided that Ojo and his party should leave the very next day to search for the gill of water from a dark well, so they now separated to make preparations for the journey.' Ozma gave the Munchkin boy a room in the palace for that night, and the afternoon he passed with Dorothy, getting acquainted, as she said, and receiving advice from the Shaggy Man as to where they must go. The Shaggy Man had wandered in many parts of Oz, and so had Dorothy for that matter, yet neither of them knew where a dark well was to be found. "'If such a thing is anywhere in the settled parts of Oz,' said Dorothy, we'd probably have heard of it long ago. If it's in the wild parts of the country, no one there would need a dark well. Perhaps there isn't such a thing. Oh, there must be, returned Ojo, positively, or else the recipe of Dr. Pipt wouldn't call for it. That's true, agreed Dorothy, and if it's anywhere in the land of Oz, we're bound to find it. "'Well, we're bound to search for it anyhow,' said the Scarecrow. "'As for finding it, we must trust to luck.' "'Don't do that,' begged Ojo earnestly. "'I'm called Ojo the Unlucky, you know.'" End of Chapter 18 Chapter 19 Trouble with the Tottenhuts a day's journey from the Emerald City brought the little band of adventurers to the home of Jack Pumpkinhead, which was a house formed from the shell of an immense pumpkin. Jack had made it himself, and was very proud of it. There was a door and several windows, and through the top was stuck a stovepipe that led from a small stove inside. The door was reached by a flight of three steps, and there was a good floor on which was arranged some furniture that was quite comfortable. It is certain that Jack Pumpkinhead might have had a much finer house to live in had he wanted it, for Ozma loved the stupid fellow who had been her earliest companion, but Jack preferred his pumpkin house as it matched himself very well, and in this he was not stupid after all. The body of this remarkable person was made of wood, branches of trees of various sizes having been used for the purpose. This wooden framework was covered by a red shirt with white spots on it, blue trousers, a yellow vest, a jacket of green and gold, and stout leather shoes. The neck was a sharpened stick on which the pumpkin head was set, and the eyes, ears, nose, and mouth were carved on the skin of the pumpkin very like a child's jack-o'-lantern. The house of this interesting creation stood in the center of a vast pumpkin field, where the vines grew in profusion and bore pumpkins of extraordinary size, as well as those which were smaller. Some of the pumpkins now ripening on the vines were almost as large as Jack's house, and he told Dorothy he intended to add another pumpkin to his mansion. The travelers were cordially welcomed to this quaint domicile, and invited to pass the night there, which they had planned to do. The patchwork girl was greatly interested in Jack, and examined him admiringly. "'You are quite handsome,' she said. 
but not as really beautiful as the Scarecrow. Jack turned at this to examine the Scarecrow critically, and his old friend slyly winked one painted eye at him. "'There is no accounting for tastes,' remarked the Pumpkinhead with a sigh. "'An old crow once told me I was very fascinating, but of course the bird might have been mistaken. Yet I have noticed that the crows usually avoid the Scarecrow, who is a very honest fellow in his way, but stuffed. I am not stuffed, you will observe. My body is good, solid hickory. I adore stuffing, said the patchwork girl. Well, as for that, my head is stuffed with pumpkin seeds, declared Jack. I use them for brains, and when they are fresh I am intellectual. Just now I regret to say my seeds are rattling a bit, so I must soon get another head. Oh, do you change your head? asked Ojo. To be sure, pumpkins are not permanent, more's the pity, and in time they spoil. That is why I grow such a great field of pumpkins, that I may select a new head whenever necessary. Who carves the faces on them? inquired the boy. I do that myself. I lift off my old head, place it on a table before me, and use the face for a pattern to go by. Sometimes the faces I carve are better than others, more expressive and cheerful, you know, but I think they average very well. Before she had started the journey, Dorothy had packed the knapsack with the things she might need, and this knapsack the Scarecrow carried strapped to his back. The little girl wore a plain gingham dress and a checked sunbonnet, as she knew they were best fitted for travel. Ojo also had brought along his basket, to which Ozma had added a bottle of square-meal tablets and some fruit. But Jack Pumpkinhead grew a lot of things in his garden besides pumpkins, so he cooked for them a fine vegetable soup and gave Dorothy, Ojo, and Toto the only ones who found it necessary to eat, a pumpkin pie and some green cheese. For beds they must use the sweet dried grasses which Jack had strewn along one side of the room, but that satisfied Dorothy and Ojo very well. Toto, of course, slept beside his little mistress. The scarecrow, Scraps, and the pumpkin head were tireless and had no need to sleep, so they sat up and talked together all night, but they stayed outside the house, under the bright stars, and talked in low tones, so as not to disturb the sleepers. During the conversation, the Scarecrow explained their quest for a dark well, and asked Jack's advice where to find it. The Pumpkinhead considered the matter gravely. "'That is going to be a difficult task,' said he. And if I were you, I'd take any ordinary well and enclose it, so as to make it dark. I fear that wouldn't do, replied the Scarecrow. The well must be naturally dark, and the water must never have seen the light of day, for otherwise the magic charm might not work at all. How much of the water do you need? asked Jack. A gill. How much is a gill? "'Why, a gill is a gill, of course,' answered the Scarecrow, who did not wish to display his ignorance. "'I know,' cried Scraps. "'Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch—' "'No, no, that's wrong,' interrupted the Scarecrow. "'There are two kinds of gills, I think. "'One is a girl, and the other is—' "'A flower," said Jack. "'No, a measure. "'How big a measure?' Well, I'll ask Dorothy. So next morning they asked Dorothy, and she said, I just don't know how much a gill is, but I've brought along a gold flask that holds a pint. That's more than a gill, I'm sure, and the crooked magician may measure it to suit himself. But the thing that's bothering us most, Jack, is to find the well. Jack gazed around the landscape, for he was standing in the doorway of his house. "'This is a flat country, so you won't find any dark wells here,' said he. "'You must go into the mountains, where rocks and caverns are.' "'And where is that?' asked Ojo. 
"'In the Quadling country, which lies south of here,' replied the Scarecrow, "'I've known all along that we must go to the mountains.' "'So have I,' said Dorothy. "'But, goodness me, the Quadling country is full of danger,' declared Jack. "'I've never been there myself, but—' "'I have,' said the Scarecrow. "'I've faced the dreadful hammerheads, which have no arms and butt you like a goat. "'And I've faced the fighting trees, which bend down their branches to pound and whip you, "'and had many other adventures there.' "'It's wild country,' remarked Dorothy soberly. "'And if we go there we're sure to have troubles of our own. "'But I guess we'll have to go, if we want that gill of water from the dark well.' "'So they said good-bye to the pumpkin-head, and resumed their travels, "'heading now directly toward the south country, "'where mountains and rocks and caverns and forests of great trees abounded. "'This part of the land of Oz,' while it belonged to Ozma and owed her allegiance, was so wild and secluded that many queer peoples hid in its jungles and lived in their own way without even a knowledge that they had a ruler in the Emerald City. If they were left alone, these creatures never troubled the inhabitants of the rest of Oz, but those who invaded their domains encountered many dangers from them. It was a two-day journey from Jack Pumpkinhead's house to the edge of the Quadling country, for neither Dorothy nor Ojo could walk very fast, and they often stopped by the wayside to rest. The first night they slept on the broad fields among the buttercups and daisies, and the scarecrow covered the children with a gauze blanket taken from his knapsack, so they would not be chilled by the night air. Toward evening of the second day they reached a sandy plain where walking was difficult, but some distance before them they saw a group of palm trees with many curious black dots under them, so they trudged bravely on to reach that place by dark and spend the night under the shelter of the trees. The black dots grew larger as they advanced, and although the light was dim, Dorothy thought they looked like big kettles turned upside down, just beyond this place a jumble of huge, jagged rocks lay scattered, rising to the mountains behind them. Our travelers preferred to attempt to climb these rocks by daylight, and they realized that for a time this would be their last night on the plains. Twilight had fallen by the time they came to the trees, beneath which were the black circular objects they had marked from a distance. Dozens of them were scattered around and Dorothy bent near to one, which was about as tall as she was, to examine it more closely. As she did so, the top flew open, and out popped a dusky creature, rising its length into the air, and then plumping down upon the ground just beside the little girl. Another and another popped out of the circular pot-like dwellings, while from all the other black objects came popping more creatures, very like jumping-jacks when their boxes are unhooked, until fully a hundred stood gathered around our little group of travelers. By this time Dorothy had discovered they were people, tiny and curiously formed, but still people. Their skins were dusky, and their hair stood straight up like wires, and was brilliant scarlet in color. Their bodies were bare except for skins fastened around their waists, and they wore bracelets on their ankles and wrists, and necklaces and great pendant earrings. Toto crouched beside his mistress and wailed as if he did not like these strange creatures a bit. Scraps began to mutter something about hoppity-poppity-jumpity-dump, but no one paid any attention to her. Ojo kept close to the scarecrow, and the scarecrow kept close to Dorothy, but the little girl turned to the queer creature and asked, "'Who are you?' They answered this question all together in a sort of chanting chorus, the words being as follows, "'We're the jolly Tottenhots, we do not like the day, but in the night tis our delight to gamble, skip, and play.' We hate the sun, and from it run, the moon is cool and clear. So on this spot each Tottenhot waits for it to appear. 
We're every one chock full of fun and full of mischief too. And if you're gay and with us play, we'll do no harm to you. Glad to meet you, Tottenhots, said the Scarecrow solemnly. But you mustn't expect us to play with you all night, for we've traveled all day and some of us are tired. And we never gamble, added the patchwork girl. It's against the law. These remarks were greeted with shouts of laughter by the impish creatures, and one seized the scarecrow's arm and was astonished to find the straw man whirl around so easily. So the Tottenhot raised the scarecrow high in the air and tossed him over the heads of the crowd. Someone caught him and tossed him back, and so, with shouts of glee, they continued throwing the scarecrow here and there, as if he had been a basketball. Presently another imp seized Scraps and began to throw her about in the same way. They found her a little heavier than the scarecrow, but still light enough to be tossed like a sofa cushion, and they were enjoying the sport immensely when Dorothy, angry and indignant at the treatment her friends were receiving, rushed among the Tottenhots and began slapping and pushing them until she had rescued the Scarecrow and the Patchwork Girl and held them close on either side of her. Perhaps she would not have accomplished this victory so easily had not Toto helped her, barking and snapping at the bare legs of the imps until they were glad to flee from his attack. As for Ojo, some of the creatures had attempted to toss him also, but Finding his body too heavy, they threw him to the ground, and a row of the imps sat on him and held him from assisting Dorothy in her battle. The little brown folks were much surprised at being attacked by the girl and the dog, and one or two who had been slapped hardest began to cry. Then suddenly they gave a shout altogether, and disappeared in a flash into their various houses, the tops of which closed with a series of pops that sounded like a bunch of firecrackers being exploded. The adventurers now found themselves alone, and Dorothy asked anxiously, "'Is anybody hurt?' "'Not me,' answered the Scarecrow. "'They have given my straw a good shaking up, and taken all the lumps out of it. I am now in splendid condition, and am really obliged to the Tottenhots for their kind treatment. "'I feel much the same way,' said Scraps. "'My cotton stuffing had sagged a good deal with the day's walking, and they've loosened it up until I feel as plump as a sausage. But the play was a little rough, and I'd had quite enough of it when you interfered.' Six of them sat on me,' said Ojo. But as they are so little, they didn't hurt me much. Just then, the roof of the house in front of them opened, and a Tottenhot stuck his head out very cautiously and looked at the strangers. Can't you take a joke? he asked reproachfully. Haven't you any fun in you at all? If I had such a quality, replied the Scarecrow, your people would have knocked it out of me. But I don't bear grudges, I forgive you. So do I, added Scraps. That is, if you behave yourselves after this. It was just a little rough house, that's all, said the Tottenhot. But the question is not if we will behave, but if you will behave. We can't be shut up here all night, because this is our time to play. Nor do we care to come out and be chewed up by a savage beast, or slapped by an angry girl. That slapping hurt like sixty. Some of my folks are crying about it. So here's the proposition. You let us alone, and we'll let you alone. You began it, declared Dorothy. Well, you ended it, so we won't argue the matter. May we come out again? Or are you still cruel and slappy? Tell you what we'll do, said Dorothy. We're all tired and want to sleep until morning. If you'll let us get into your house and stay there until daylight, you can play outside all you want to. That's a bargain, cried the Tottenhot eagerly, and he gave a queer whistle that brought his people popping out of their houses on all sides. When the house before them was vacant, 
Dorothy and Ojo leaned over the hole and looked in, but could see nothing because it was so dark. But if the Tottenhot slept there all day, the children thought they could sleep there at night. So Ojo lowered himself down and found it was not very deep. "'There's a soft cushion all over,' said he. "'Come on in.' Dorothy handed Toto to the boy and then climbed in herself. After her came Scraps and the Scarecrow, who did not wish to sleep but preferred to keep out of the way of the mischievous Tottenhots. There seemed no furniture in the round den, but soft cushions were strewn about the floor, and these they found made very comfortable beds. They did not close the hole in the roof, but left it open to admit air. It also admitted the shouts and ceaseless laughter of the impish Tottenhots as they played outside, but Dorothy and Ojo, being weary from their journey, were soon fast asleep. Toto kept an eye open, however, and uttered low, threatening growls whenever the racket made by the creatures outside became too boisterous, and the scarecrow and the patchwork girl sat leaning against the wall and talked in whispers all night long. No one disturbed the travelers until daylight, when in popped the Tottenhot who owned the place and invited them to vacate his premises. End of chapter 19